Buckle that belt. The neighbor is already threatening to call the cops. He's pissed. If you get anxious, man, you just pop these little guys. People out here looking like Paul Feinbaum trying to tell us what to do with our hair. In my overserved state, I went to the wrong house. No, it was the right house. Okay. Dive bar means the beer is cold, the drinks aren't too expensive, and the hamburgers are great. They are a unified front in doing their very best to keep me between the proverbial navigational beacons. Howdy y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast. Um, Wesley is absent today. Wesley has some other business to tend to, which is far more important than any shenanigans we're gonna discuss. But Travis is here, I'm here, it's a gorgeous day. I'm back in Ocean City, New Jersey, here at Ocean City Coffee, hanging out, having a cup, and uh, processing the week that was. It was a crazy one. Uh, Travis and I started our week down in Austin, Texas, and it was 105 degrees outside. Uh, one of the hottest days I've ever experienced, but just an amazing experience. Uh, Travis and I went down to Austin as guests of my tremendous partner, Academy Sports and Outdoors. You can see Travis's hat, those of you who are watching on YouTube. Uh, Academy did an amazing collaboration with their Magellan Outdoors brand and Shiner Bach beer, which is the official beer of Texas, I think. Uh, and as, as part of that event, they welcomed Randy Rogers Band, uh, iconic Texas country music. And, and they, I mean, Travis can, can help me articulate this here. The show was off the hook and I have been around enough artists in my day to know this is just the facts. When you play sponsor events, when you play weddings, when you play uh, private events, a lot of times it can be a little bit less than stale. passionate. I don't know if, the, if stale is right. It's just the reason is it's not your fans. These people didn't pull their wallet out, their credit card out, go on the internet, go up to the box office, pay their hard-earned money to see you play a country music show because they love your work. And that's not just Randy Rogers, that's all of them. And again, I, I've been around enough artists to know these things. They love doing it, it's not that they uh, don't enjoy doing it. I know that Randy and his bandmates were thrilled to be there. but. That's just the facts, all right? So, they take the stage, and I don't know, Travis and I are a couple, couple beverages in at this point, and have just completed the interview you guys will hear uh, in just a bit. Randy was kind enough to sit down with me for 20 minutes or so and share about his career and about his path and whatnot, and it was so fulfilling for me to get to sit with him and hear him share uh, not only about the songs, iconic songs. I mean, if you don't know Randy Rogers' band, if you're a country music, if you're a music fan at all, and you don't know about their catalog, just trust me. I sent Patrick Abrahams, my field producer at ESPN, whom I'll discuss in a moment, because we had ESPN The Ocho this week as well, which is a whole other story. And, uh, Patrick is really becoming passionate about country music because, uh, first of all, it's great, and it's their, 
what makes country music so amazing is it is the uncanny ability by these phenomenal artists and writers to share life in two and a half minutes, which is very hard to do. Uh, it is a skill and a talent, and it is honed and crafted over time to the point where that two and a half minutes can not only change a life or impact a life, but it can save a life. I believe I'm proof. Anybody that knows my relationship with Eric Church understands that part. Well, and Patrick also doesn't have a choice. If he's around you, he's just going to be listening to country music Correct. anyway, so you might as well embrace it. Yeah, I, did, I, I wasn't going to say that part, but he's also around me more than my wife is. And so, uh, yeah, there's no question that, that by osmosis he had no choice. And so I just sent him yesterday this list of like 10 Randy Rogers band songs that he had to consume. Uh, hold on, I'll just re I'll roll them off for you here. These are the ones that I told Patrick to start with, okay? I told Patrick to start with Picture Frames, Interstate, Steal You Away, Drinking Money, One Woman, You, Me, and a Bottle, and Nothing But Love Songs. I gave him that homework assignment. And their catalog is just fantastic. And when I think about Texas country, you'll hear me say this to Randy uh, during our interview. I think of them first. I think of Pat Green. I think of Jason Bowen and the Stragglers. I think of uh, Stoney LaRue. If you guys have not heard Stoney LaRue's cover of All the Gold, oh my God. Uh, anyway, phenomenal talents. And you're gonna love the interview. But So Travis and I start there, show us off the hook, right? I mean, the show was off the hook. It was the nicest pit you've ever because it was a standing room only. But it was everybody was nice. You you mosey on around, but I mean, we drank them out of their beer. Shinerbach, they ran. We, we ran out of it. Literally drank them out of their beer, y'all. It was a proud moment uh, for there me. There were what, Travis? How many people were there? I, I'm not good at those estimates. Ah, uh, couple hundred. Yeah, I'd say a couple hundred easily. So Travis was kind enough to make beer runs for us uh, on my behalf and go get us cold beer. Our, our great friends from ESPN, uh, Laura and, and Josh Rutledge, Laura's inarguably one of the most talented people at ESPN, if not the most talented, and just an awesome human being. And her husband, Josh, is a former Roll Tide Roll baseball star. Uh, and Travis loves when I say Roll Tide Roll. And they're just wonderful people. Uh, our boy Justin Martin was there. He, like Laura and myself, is an ambassador for Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they wanted all of us there also, for this amazing event. Justin and is maybe hands down the funniest person I've been. I had to, if he was talking, to warn you, man. I had to stop taking drinks out of fear that I was going to yep. spit my drink out whenever he talked. He is the funniest person. I try to warn you. And he's so witty. Like, he's just really witty it's guy the and a sweetheart. It's the delivery, uh, too. He's, he's just very, like, matter-of-fact and just kind of, like, he doesn't – he's not, like, trying to be funny. He just – he is. And so, like, I mean, there was one point uh, before we even got to the concert venue, we were having dinner. Luckily, it was a small drink that I took. I had to cover my mouth with my hand. My my hand was wet. Like, it, there was a chance that you almost got sprayed with liquid. liquid. Travis almost got uh – what was it? They didn't have Tito's. Oh, yeah, so we are. We were in Austin, <laughs> Texas. They didn't have Tito's. I ordered. What was it. it called? Like slippery noodle. What were you drinking? <sighs> I forget the vodka. Slippery they found. rock. Some, uh, 
something like that. Um, but when I said, can I get a dripping springs. dripping springs, I go, can I get a Tito's and soda? And the person was like, uh, we don't have that. And you, I don't think I've seen you laugh that hard in my life. You and en- you enjoyed that like, moment. What? We're in all- we're in the home of Tito's, and Travis is chomping at the bit to pay homage to his elixir of the gods, and they don't even have it in its hometown. Uh, so he had Dripping Springs vodka. So those of you at Dripping Springs, Travis is now a fan. You can send him uh, send him some free I, Dripping Springs. I only had one Tito's that uh, that 24 hours I was down there because the Shiner Bock was we free. Get to, yeah, yeah, right. So Travis is kind enough to make beer runs for, for Laura and Josh, myself, uh, whomever was, was around us, and everybody there was so kind to us. But Travis comes back. I mean, Randy and the boys are like an hour into the set, hour and 15 minutes into the set. They probably played 90 minutes. Yeah. I'm not sure, but uh, about 90 minutes. And he goes, uh, he's holding Miller Lite. And I was like, dude, what, what, what are you doing? He goes, we drank him out of Shiner. And I was like, wait, what? We drank Shiner out of Shiner at their own event? That's a good event. Congratulations to them. They had regular Shiner Bach. They had like a Shiner Light. They had like five different options of Shiner Bach. All of it was gone. So I'm proud of us. We did a good job. And I am too. Uh, Just a phenomenal event. And and thank you to Randy and to his management. They were cool enough to give us time. And uh, we'll discuss the things Randy said on the backside. You're really going to enjoy it. Guys, one of our amazing partners here at the Marty Smith Podcast is my great friends at Moultrie. More than 35 years ago, Moultrie pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of game cameras and feeders in the world, and it continues to innovate with new technology that hunters and land managers rely on. Defined by the foundations of reliability and ease of use, Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters. Combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality, Moultrie consistently demonstrates what it means to be the most trusted name in game management. Check them out. MoultrieFeeders.com to learn more. That's M-O-U-L-T-R-I-E-F-E-E-D-E-R-S.com. MoultrieFeeders.com. I will tell you, I did just send a bunch and I mean a bunch of trail cameras to one of my friends in college football, one of the head coaches who has a lot of land and wanted to have some trail cameras out there. When I saw this head coach recently, we started talking about hunting season coming up, our food plots, everything that you do to get ready for hunting season. And I asked him, you got any trail cameras out there? And he's like, no, nah, I'm in the market. I said, let me send you a couple. Let me send you a few. You can check them out. And the one that I'm sending him, the ones, I mean, it's a bunch. These cameras are amazing. Now, they have SD cards, okay? And they can take 13,000 photographs on four batteries. But they also have solar panels. You can stick on them, too. There's either 16 gig or 32 gig SD cards. And then they have, there's a smart card reader that you plug. You put the SD card in the smart card reader and then you can plug it directly into your phone. So you can see everything that's going on on your land right there. 13,000 photos on four batteries. SD card goes right into your phone, and you can check out everything that's going on on your land. I love it. Y'all check them out. MoultrieFeeders.com. 
and get yours now. Leave Austin Wednesday morning, get back over to Charlotte, where Thursday I went down to uh, I went down to Rock Hill, South Carolina, and uh, Ryan McGee and myself hosted ESPN the Ocho, the uh, the Ocho Takeover on ESPN Two. This was the first time that this had ever happened. There had never been a halftime show or any live type of analytical coverage of the Ocho. And so they kind of took a flyer and they said, let's put these two degenerates on, on and talk about this. Well, not only did we discuss it and analyze it, we also interacted. We threw axes, which we were both really good at, if I'm being honest. I mean, I've never done it before. That's not easy. The, the little girl. Uh, well, I, it was easy. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy. That's what I'm saying, easy. though. Like, I've done it before. Like cornhole, cornhole's usually easy. Yeah. Well, easy to get knocked cornhole was easy for me until my very last throw when I had the opportunity to sink a putt to win the Masters and beat Don Staley, and I missed the ball. I was short of the board. My putt was short. I mean, it was like my brother-in-law yesterday on the beach. He goes, I just got to get this off my chest. He goes, I knew this was the moment. He's like, I, I can't believe that you didn't even make it to the board. I'm like, thanks, thanks. I, I know. I'm, I text you. I'm, I'm going to start calling you Will Zalatoris uh, going forward. Like, you just missed the putt. I just missed the putt. It happens to the best of us. I was sitting there trying to justify it, like, in my mind, because my brother-in-law manages all my money, so he's like a math guy. And I'm like, you need to do the math. He does all the math on our cornhole, can jam, everything, pickleball. He's the score guy. I said, Let's run back through what exactly happened. It, I lost 10 to 7. So had I made that bag on the board, it would have been 10 to 8 or 10 to 10 if I sunk it, right? Well, I think Dawn Staley then threw it onto the board and knocked one of mine off with her throw. So I think she wins regardless. Either way, it doesn't matter. I, I, I choked. It's fine. Well, I will, I will say... So, with the celebrity pro-am style, I didn't realize that you guys only have played ten rounds. So I will give you a little bit of the doubt. I would have give. I, I'll give you a little. I'll but defend it, you a little bit in that. If you would have played an actual game, you might have won. Well, it's not even that. It's not even that. It's also my pro Ryan Smith, who I also won with last year, is my boy. Man, he is an awesome guy, great player. But we happen to be playing the number one player in the world, Dawn's pro partner was the number one player in the world. And Ryan called it. He said to me walking out to intros, how about Flavor Flav introduced me? How about Flavor Flav? He was on with his big clock. Yeah. He goes, yeah, cornhole. <laughs> and he also said live on the Marty McGee program. Anyway, so, um, so Ryan told me on the way out, he goes, here's the deal. He is unbelievable. He is going to throw it in the hole every throw. He will make every throw. So here's my strategy. I'm going to block the hole. I'm going to try to throw mine in such a way to block his attack. And so that was our strategy. It didn't matter. Like, that guy made every throw. Now, if we could go back and do it again and re-strategize, and knowing what I know now, I would have told Ryan, try to make every throw and let it be me against Dawn. Make Dawn beat me. And she may have. I mean, she may have. But it might have been a better strategy, regardless. So... McGee and I do pogo stick, we do uh, axe throwing, we do 
I'm, I was impressed with your ability to stay on the pogo stick for as long as you did. I thought you were going to just face plant. Listen, what you got to understand is those pogo sticks aren't the ones that we got down at Walmart, okay, with the big boingy spring. These things are pneumatic, and you have to give it a lot of juice in order to even get it started. And then once you get it started, you have to have such tremendous balance and it being the first time we've ever tried it, we had no chance. I about, I about had a season-ending injury between my legs with that thing. But those guys, we're doing a live shot with the CEO of the Pogo Palooza, Will Weiner. And this kid, this ripped 19-year-old kid is doing flips, flips on his Pogo stick over top of us. And then the... Grand finale was uh, Slippery Stairs, which McGee and I did live on SportsCenter while wearing dodgeball costumes. And so we've been skirting around this on ESPN, like describing what Slippery Stairs is. Here's what it is. It is a 38-stair case. And these stairs are covered with a little bit of padding. It's still pretty, it's still pretty hard. But your goal is to climb up these stairs, to make it up the stairs. Well, they have these ladies on the very top of it. It is lubed up. And it's lubed up with stuff we can't say, but you can find it in the family planning aisle. Well, you get to, you get close, and these ladies up top have super soakers full of the stuff from the family planning aisle, and they shoot it at your feet, knees, and hands. You got no chance. I hit my head on the side of the thing. McGee's got a bruised buttock. He was killing me Saturday morning on the show talking about his bruised buttock. Did you but, see how those people, when they get to the top, they they just throw once it's over, they just throw themselves down those stairs. I, those did, I didn't know people made hurting. it to the top. I, I, had, I didn't get to watch it because I was going to play cornhole. They had, uh, like, a men's division, a women's division. They had a junior division, little girls and little boys going up there. Like, and they made it? The, yeah, I was watching one where uh, it was – like four or five boys and it was the funniest thing because they were just grabbing legs and pulling people down it was hilarious but i mean that's gotta hurt oh yeah dude it and look we're, we're not we're not little anymore we're in our mid 40s and higher some of us higher and so look falling down those stairs is not a good time but it was uh, an amazing day grateful for the opportunity i'm sure we're going to do it again next year I want to go back to Patrick for a minute. This is way inside, way inside television, okay? Patrick is the most brilliant person ever at coordinating all of the logistics that are required for McGee and I to succeed. And then our camera guys, Greg and Sam Herdeman, and our audio guy, Corey Harrelchak, whom I've been around the world with, literally all over the globe, China, uh, Iceland, I mean, all over creation and everywhere in the States. The, the run and gun move adjust on the fly. It's live TV. They're the best of the best of the best. And McGee and I did not have comms. Our IFBs went down. So we are, it's, everything is hand signals. Patrick is telling us when to go, how to go, and then McGee and I just have to have enough I mean, we've been making TV together long enough to just, we don't even have to try to read each other. There's a clairvoyance there. Thank God. 
But when you're in the middle of interviewing Flavor Flea, and he doesn't know us for math, and they're telling you to do this, they're saying wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. It's like, all right, I got to cut off Flavor Flav. How, how are we going to cut off Flavor Flav? I don't really know how to do that. So there were some unique moments in there, but absolute blast. And then. Can we, can we go back? Hold on. Can we go back to the wiffle ball, though? Uh, oh, yeah, wiffle ball. We played that, too. I could tell you're the athlete in you was kicking in when you had some, like, pro throwing, throwing pitches at you, and you just wanted to connect on one of those. Jack Blayhouse from Edmonds, Washington. These guys flew in from all over the place to compete in the wiffle ball championship. It was an all-star. It was all-star teams that were created, and they played against each other. And, man, Jack, he, he kind of showed us on TV the way to throw the different pitches and – whatnot and his advice to us as hitters was if the ball's coming at you it's going to be a strike so I stand in there and he dings me in the ear and so, so I'm like well okay maybe maybe his advice isn't too great um, but ultimately uh, he threw one in there and he might have been taking care of me I'm not sure I think McGee he, on I think TV he I saw you he said you grooved that one didn't you I don't care if he grooved it or not I think he I think I jerked it out of the park on him but going forward, uh, we need to make sure that you're wearing shirts with sleeves because the sun hasn't seen your arms all. You were the pale. I sent Laney a text. I said he is the palest person I've ever seen on TV. You I, I, are see through. I said on, uh, I said on um, one of the shows on ESPN. We did a live shot with Jack, and uh, I, I said on TV, I, I have spent my entire life preparing this farmer's tan for this moment and it's the truth dude i'm at the beach i'm at the beach for two and a half months every summer but i have sleeves on all the time i don't want to see the sun like i am as ginger as the good lord ever made and i just don't need it i mean i'm i'm in my mid-40s now i ain't trying to impress you you, you did get some compliments by dominique foxworth on your physique though what did dominique say on first take, he, he said that he, he could see some definition in your arms and that he was impressed. Well, I mean, again, like, I haven't been lifting as much this summer as I normally do. If we would, if we would do this in the middle of football season when I'm on the grind, it would have been a different spectacle. I mean, it would have, I would have been filling that sleeve up, baby. But uh, just a blast, man. I had a lot of fun. Uh, grateful to ESPN and, and, and SEC Network and all the guys, Randy and Pete, for letting us do it. And we'll do it again, I'm sure. And, uh, again, Patrick, phenomenal job. I, it, what he does blows my mind every time, and we've done every ki kind of event together you could, could fathom. Uh, you know, I just realized we forgot to mention something about uh, when we were down in Austin. We'll wait uh, until after the interview. The okay. people are waiting for the interview, and you can share your story about Austin on the backside. Again, this is Randy Rogers, uh, lead man for the Randy Rogers Band. And I loved this conversation. I enjoyed spending time with him. I've been a fan of theirs for, I bet, 20 years, all the way back to their first album. So y'all are going to love this, especially if you're Red Dirt Country fans. Here is Randy Rogers on the Marty Smith Podcast. First of all, I really appreciate your nice time, you. brother. Pl absolute pleasure. 
been a fan forever and ever. Amen. See you on TV, same. Well, uh, God, you know, America's the best country in the world. When look redneck. at that man's beard. That's why I'm sitting on a tour bus watching him. Good looking beard, ain't it? Dang, nice I mean, beard. Good Lord bless me with that. I did just trim it up just for you right before I came, though. Nice. It was a little bit, little bit gnarly before I walked in the door tonight. What the hell is it like being a Cowboys fan? I mean, it's like a, it's the most blessing and curse fandom there is, I think. Yeah, you know, I actually wrote a song, so um, it's a little bit deep to start the interview, but I wrote a song for my dad. My dad passed away in October of 2020, not from COVID, but from a long, hard-fought battle with cancer. And I wrote a song about the Cowboys. I wrote a song about my eight-year-old self, my dad picking me up, surprising me one Sunday, uh, taking me to the old stadium and... You know, the, the first time I'd ever seen a crowd, right, as a young young kid. And so what is it like to be a Cowboys fan? It was I was bred a Cowboys fan, right? So no, ch no choice. I bleed blue. I think about it all the time. I mean, I have little girls now, and my wife is not a fan at all of any kind of sports whatsoever. So she doesn't get it. But, you know, I think that for a young kid to connect with his parents, or, you know, particularly my father on a sports level, you know, for me, it was the Cowboys. It was, it was the Cowboys. It was Nolan Ryan. It was the Texas Rangers. Um, I grew up. I was there at the uh, 5,000 strikeout. I mean, were you? You were in attendance? Oh, yeah. I was in the, I was in the nosebleeds. Um, so, you know, I grew up in North Texas. We settled down here in New Braunfels, Texas, where we live now after college. But, you know, I think the Cowboys mean the world to me, and it is a blessing and a curse. It's, you know, it's something like all my friends, like my, one of my dearest friends right now plays catcher for the Yankees, you know. Trevino. Yeah. And, you know, I have to root for the Yankees now. It's okay. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's okay. I'm rooting for him. But, you know, I think people, when they hear this record and they, they understand this song is more about connecting through sports than it is necessarily about your favorite team. Well, we're kindred spirits that way. I grew up in Appalachia, 25 minutes west of Virginia Tech, cattle farm, uh, farm kid. And my old man would wake me up some Saturday mornings and Say, boy, get dressed. We're going over we're the going, mountain. Going, yeah. And I knew what that meant. We're going to watch the Hokies play football. Yeah, and you were excited, right? Hell yes. That, that was that was like your favorite day. Being in that same energy, like I saw my dad in a different light at those games. Sure, yeah. My, my dad, dad was, was a, working all the time. He wasn't around. Yeah, my dad was a preacher, you know. So the fact that he took off on a Sunday and took me to a game, I mean, I knew what that meant. Yeah. It was a special day, so. That's so cool. I was actually going to ask you about him. I, I, I had read where you lost him, what, eight, a couple of years ago now? Yeah, 2020, October. Well, yeah. and, you know, the, the crazy thing is, like, the Dallas Cowboys, yes, you can make fun of them all you want. You can, you know, talk smack. You know, all my friends, especially my idiot friends from Houston, you know, <laughs> like, they love to just bag on all things Mavericks, you know, Rangers, you know. It I don't goes, know that they have a leg to stand uh, on right now. Right now is rough. But, <laughs> right now is rough. But, you know, it's like people from Houston just in general, they just don't get like how much Dallas-Fort Worth sports impacted my childhood, not to mention the Stars, you know, winning so much. Yep. And Mike Madonna being and so him, yep. huge. Um, yeah, it was great growing up there. How did losing your dad? I lost my dad when I was a lot younger. I had just turned 30 when my dad died. And I, I say this, I don't care what your relationship is with your old man, whether he's your best friend, your hero, y'all don't get along, you hate each other, whatever that is, he's a compass. 
if the le roof's sure, leaking, yeah. you call your old man. Truck won't start, call your old man. They got answers, and all of a sudden those answers are gone. So how did losing him kind of rewrite your normal? Well, you know, I'm a father to three, um, so I'm a I'm an old man now, right? Like I'm a daddy now. Same, so bro. Gray hair. It it kickstarted that feeling more than anything, like because uh, I think now, so I'm 43 now, so you know. I was already out of the house when my dad was 43, you know, and I've got 12, about to be nine and five little girls right now. So for me, it, it just kick-started the fire that like, yes, life is fun and games, but it's time to get serious about certain things. Yeah, and that's a hell of a revelation. Yeah. Like, wait, wait a yeah, minute now, wait a minute now, I got a lot of responsibility and I got to grow these girls yeah. up and they got to know their daddy loves them every day. I got two girls myself. Well, so, yeah, girl dad. Girl dad, man. Girl dad. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I think the coming of age, I think, happens, obviously, at that moment in time in your life. And uh, for me, it was an awakening. And, you know, I think I'm probably a better person, you know, understanding how much he loved me and cared about me and wanted the best for me and supported my career. Even though he was a Baptist preacher, he'd be out there at Billy Bob's watching my show. That's awesome. You know, he was there supporting me. Uh, even though necessarily it was frowned upon at certain times uh, for him to be out in a bar, you know, Saturday night at one in the morning. You mentioned him taking you to those games and seeing a crowd for the first time. I imagine it was intoxicating to see what that was. Now, I saw a photo of you. It was on y'all's Instagram. You must have been like 14, 15, singing your ass off up on this stage by yourself. What were that kid's dreams, and how has you, the reality of your amazing career intersected those dreams? Yeah, so I was playing the Opry. So in Texas, we have these little Opry's. That like the Burleson Jamboree was the one that I played the most, but I played a lot of them. And they would have talent competitions. You would go there. The only people that would go is your grandma and, <laughs> yeah. and grandpa Ken. and like cousins and <laughs> yeah. uncles and aunts and whatnot. But so, yeah, I, was, I won third place in the Burleson Jamboree. I sang uh, Tim McGraw's Don't Take the Girl. What a great song. Great song. Uh, one third place. Um, so a lot of those pictures of me from back then are, are playing like little honky-tonks and little operas that were around Cleburne, Texas, where I grew up in Johnson County. And, um, you know, I think my dreams back then were to be George Strait. That was number one. Uh, to be Willie Nelson. That was a close number one. Uh, to have a career, to be in a tour bus, to be on TV. I remember standing in front of the TV watching uh, Hee Haw or, you know, watching the yeah, TNN network or whatnot and, you know, dreaming about being a country music singer um, for a living and having a personality on TV, like you've done so well for yourself, um, having a personality, having a stick, uh, having hit country songs, uh, just somehow being involved in the music industry, you know, at a young age, you know, playing in church growing up, about 12 or 13, I got a guitar. I was already playing piano. So then I started writing songs and playing guitar, and they turned out to be like saddest country songs you've ever heard. But right? I love that. I, I love sad country songs, yeah, man. I'd never been in love. I'd obviously never had even had a girlfriend. And so I had no clue what I was doing. I just was trying to be an adult, right? So I just remember looking back thinking, I want to be George. I mean, that was right around the time Pure Country came out. My favorite all-time movie. Dusty, baby. Um, so, you know, that's what I wanted to be. A kid growing up in Texas in the sixth grade, uh, I wanted to be George Strait. So 
that kid who grew up in Texas who wanted to be George Strait now had, the opportunity, for Strait, yeah. had the opportunity to play a show with Willie Nelson and George Strait. Sure, yeah. That, these two, these one and one A heroes of yours. Yeah, two two what, nights in a row. Yeah. What what was that like? How do you define what that was for you and your bandmates? I woke up Sunday and uh, I crashed because of the high that I had been on yep. for the whole weekend. I don't think I stopped smiling. Um, I got some time with George. I got some time with Willie independently. Um, dream come true. I'd played shows with George before. I'd played shows with Willie before, but the fact that all three of us. And only the three of us were playing um, at the new Moody Arena in Austin is where it happened, the grand opening weekend of the Moody Arena. I just don't think you could have written that story. I mean, I grew up uh, in Cleburne, and my, my parents did well, but we were middle class. Um, you could not have predicted, you could not have told me at that young of an age that this was going to happen to me or I would have, you know, probably ruined my life. I would have killed over. I wouldn't have believed, you know, that you could do it seeing that in my future so for me i mean i, I was just asked this today in, a, in an interview i was doing earlier for the bio for the new record like what was your moment i'm like well is it okay that my moment just happened like so cool. a few yeah. months ago um why was that the moment explain why that's the moment i just i mean other than robert earl Keane, later on in life i don't think any two you know artists influenced me more than than willie and george i mean Talk about scouring over their records, listening to all their songs, figuring out who wrote the songs. Was it Dean Dillon? Uh, who was it? And learning the songs on guitar at a young age, um, playing them at these Opry's, uh, pretending to be them in the reflection of the TV as a mirror. I mean, all that really happened, you know? And so being with George at a sold out night where he's honoring his idol, Willie, and they just tagged me along. I mean, it, it's it's, uh, it's like the biggest thing that maybe you could ever have happen to you. Being a kid from Johnson County, you know, chasing a country music dream when you're like 13. Anybody who loves country music. True I mean, that. That's the ultimate dream for anybody. I mean, those are, those are, I mean, it's a king. Yeah. And Willie is one of the four or five most iconic artists of all time. Yeah, maybe like Coca-Cola. Right. I mean, it's like, to me, it's like Willie Nelson... Coca-Cola, Snoop Dogg, maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, what is it? Like, right. it? It has to be that, right? right. Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe. I yep. mean, there's very few names that are in that category. So MJ. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a great opportunity, such a, like, and I think also well-deserved and earned opportunity. I mean, we put in the sweat and work as a band through all these years and all these shows we played. Um, it was just a great night. And I just want to reach out to uh, George Strait and Willie and say thank you for that night. I, I told you both that night, but I don't know if you really understood the magnitude that it had on my family, so thank you. Texas country intrigues me. I'm a hardcore country music fan. I love studying the history. I love learning about everything you talk about, searching out who wrote what. That's kind of the kind of fan I am. But when I think Texas country, now look, if I, if, if I forget somebody or I'm an idiot, you can smack me across the mouth sitting here, right? I think of you first. I think of guys like Pat Green, Stoney LaRue, uh, Jason Boland. I think of that bunch of guys, right? What, like, what is it about Texas country that A, you guys consider different or unique and the, define for me the pride that you guys have in kind of that moniker? Well, I think you can trace it back to this town, Austin, Texas, where we're at today, 
And the, when Willie Nelson came here, okay, and, and Waylon followed him, and just two blocks that way, at the Armadillo World Headquarters, they started this, if you, it's no, nothing short of a revolution, you know, and, and so then past that came people like Robert O'Kane and people right. came, Jerry Jeff, and, and these people just descended on Austin, much like is, you know, what's happening these days. And they created this scene basically out of thin air. And it allowed people like me, you know, years later to have a job. So when I think about Texas music, when I think about Austin, Texas, when I think about just in general country music in Texas, it has to be traced back to Guy Clark. It has to be traced back to Towns Van Zandt, who spent many years here. It has to go back to those days with Willie and Waylon and um, the Los Gonzo Band and, and the, the people that paved the highway, literally, that, you know, my tour bus is rolling down these days. And, and why is it so prideful? It's just like anything else. Like when you just spoke about where you were born and raised. Where you're yeah. from. You, you're you're yep. so proud of it. And, and luckily in Texas, too, it's, it's, and this gets a little bit off topic of the country music, but we have wonderful Tejano music. We have wonderful hip-hop music from all over the state. We have, you know, great rap music. We have rock and roll music. We have, there's, it's just such a big community of creators that it's not necessarily just solely based in Austin. It's throughout the state. And I think that that's unique in itself because, as we all know, Texas is a lot bigger than a lot of places in our great union. And there's just so much more opportunity for diversity and there's so much diversity that comes out of the music scene right here. I mean, there's blue, like three blocks down, we could go listen to the best blues band you've ever heard in your life. And you'll be hearing country music in this venue tonight. And then down the street, you'll be hearing Norteño music, Norteño music, you know, down the street. So it's just the hodgepodge of creators. And, you know, I'm lucky for me that country music is so well accepted here in Texas where, you know, people in Nashville, when I first moved to Nashville, got into my first record deal with the major label and, you know, started talking shop with all the guys that book bands throughout all over the country. They're like, why move? Why go play anywhere else? You could just play the rest of your life in Texas. I mean, that is true, but we want to spread the music to the rest of the country, sure. to the rest of the world, right? I mean, as artists, as musicians, as songwriters, you want your music to be heard by the most people that can hear it, right? That's why you do it. It calms me down. When I write a song, it calms me down. Probably that will calm down someone else when they hear it. So, you know, Texas in itself could be its own country, could definitely be its own, okay. you know, country for, you know, touring and playing music live for a living. Um, and because of that, I have a job. You mentioned the bio for the new album. Uh, put that thing together. I've heard the two songs that you guys have led us here. Brilliant. I read that you really wanted this to be, a, we want to get back to our roots. We want to get back to a more Randy Rogers band kind of OG sound. Right. Why was that important to you now? Well, I think, you know, working with Rodney Foster again. What a beast. Uh, he produced our first records when we were little. Um, just, you know, during COVID, I reached out to him and, we started writing songs on Zoom and started reconnecting. Um, it, all, it all starts with a song. 
I know that sounds cheesy and cliche, True. but it's all about a song. And so Ratty and I started writing, and all of a sudden we got a couple good songs. And it's like, well, hey, let's work again together. And you know, we've we made this record with Ratty called Roller Coaster. Roller Coaster is like, quote unquote, if you ask any fan of the band that's been around for a long time, they would say that is the quintessential Randy Rogers band album you have to have, you have to know it, right? We made that record here in Austin with Radney, and that that record put us on the map. You know, it got us a record deal. It got us our first top, you know, 40 country song. Um, it moved the needle. It got us from a van to a tour bus. You know, it changed my life. Literally changed my life. And, and the next record we made with them even changed my life more so. That was Kiss Me in the Dark. Amazing. You know, it, th- you know, things really moved with Radney. And so, you know, years later, I mean, how many times in, in life, not the music industry, but any industry, you know, you get to go back 20 years later, the same five people that you made something with, including the guy that you made it with, Radney, in the same studio that's still standing there, still in, you know, usable and workable, and try to recreate magic, you know? No one can say that, that, that that's a 20-year difference in that opportunity. And so I wanted to capture that, and, and we did. You know, it's, it's my favorite record we've made since we left the label. Um, I'll stand on that. The songs are better, the production's better, musicianship's better. You know, people will say, well, why didn't you do that the first in the last three records? I don't know. It's, it's something between Radney and the Randy Rogers Band. When we get together, you know, we write these songs and we put our minds to it. When we, you know, cry and sweat and drink over it, you know, it just becomes this magic. And that was the magic that put us on the scene. And I'm not saying we're riding away or anything like that. I just said it was time to try to get back and, you know, recenter the band, um, especially after the, you know, year and a half that was basically off. How'd that impact you? I loved it. Yeah, I hate to say that for the fans out there of music, but after 20 years of touring, playing 150 days a year, I needed a break. Like my uh, my youngest, she's five now, but during that time she became a, you know, from two and a half years old to almost four and a half, you know. Like she completely changed and I got to be home for that. That's something I didn't get to do with the other girls. So that's a blessing, right? I mean, Correct, man. there's such a silver lining of COVID for the touring musician. Um, I do feel bad for the younger artists that were coming up and their, their situation got pushed on pause. Uh, but for me, I've, you know, 20 years into the, a career, I mean, I, I needed a break and, and thank God I got it because now the Randy Rogers band will be here a lot longer because we were burning pretty hard in 19. It gave me a lot of new perspective too. Sure. My entire adult life, when you do what I do, I mean, I'm at, it's event to event to event to event to event. I'm on the road 200 whatever days a year. Uh, my kids are 16, 13, and 10, and they're just used to daddy being gone. And it took a global pandemic to make me stop. And we, my, my wife Lainey and I cherished that, that pause button. 100%. Big time. And... What, what, I started writing too. You had to have been inspired. Yeah, I was inspired. When you stop and perceive and witness, you become inspired. Yeah, I started writing songs about 
love. I started writing songs about drinking. I started writing songs about falling in love. I started writing songs about all kinds of stuff. Um, you write picture frames then? Picture frames is written then. Um, so good, dude. So good. Yeah, nothing but love songs. And then, like, yeah, so good too. This whole entire record that's coming out was obviously written during that time frame and that host of emotions that I think we all went through, uh, not just singer songwriters or TV personalities, but, you know, everything that happened to me uh, before that moment where they told me that I didn't have a job anymore. I mean, I just had to lay there in bed thinking about it every night. And, and I tried to put that on paper and I tried to put it to song uh, so that other people could also understand and relate to it. Well, it's, uh, it certainly is relatable. Who, who's the most Texas part? Like, is, is George Strait or McConaughey more Texas? Who's more Texas? <laughs> In this town, it would have to be McConaughey. For sure. He's the king yeah. of this town. Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd have to say George and Willie. I mean, one and one A, like you said earlier. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody else other than Guy Clark. Guy Clark would, you know, George Strait would probably tell you Guy Clark. You know, um, other than that, I don't know. I think that's it for me. And in, in the world that I live in, those two people. Well, uh, so grateful, man. I know, uh, I know you got work to do. I'm so excited to, to see y'all play tonight. I've not ever seen y'all play. Uh, been a fan of yours for 15 years, man. And right I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity tonight. Thank you for sharing. Yes, sir, Marty. Thank you. So much, brother. Hell yeah. Cheers. And go Cowboys just for Randy. <laughs> Thank you. As I say, it meant a lot to me just to learn. That what meant the most to me was him talking about his dad. His dad taking him to Dallas Cowboys games. And what that energy is when you get to see your dad in that different way. We know our dads in the responsible provider, disciplinarian, go to work, come home, roll. That's how a lot of us knew our fathers, especially my age and, young, and older, excuse me. Like, I'm, not, I'm a different dad than my dad was. I'm way more, like, immersed in the day-to-day -day of my kids' lives. My dad, I mean, he was immersed in my life. I, I've said this a million times. One of the things I'm most impressed with my dad about now, and my mom, now that I'm old enough to understand it, is from the time I was in Little League Baseball until I got done with high school, they were at every single game, all of them, every one of them. And that is such an unbelievable commitment. And I'm so grateful, because when, you, when you're a young person and you can look up in those stands and see your parents and know that they're there and they're there for you, like my dad was the guy, my parents, they, if I had a high school football game, they were there three hours before kickoff because my daddy wanted to be on the, t on the top at the 50. I knew exactly they were, where they were sitting every single time. And going to games at Virginia Tech with dad, y'all know what that means to me. So hearing Randy articulate and describe what those moments meant to him as a son, I just felt was really vulnerable, man. How about you? I, I never really, well, I was in high school as a swimmer, so you really can't see, like your, your parents in the stands. But like, and when I played football when I was younger, I always knew where my dad was because he always 
was like 20 yards ahead of the line of scrimmage. And so I, I knew where he was. But it's interesting. I was watching a documentary on Arsenal Football Club. And this goalie was having – he was starting for the first time for Arsenal. And he was talking about how he, when he walks out there, he always knows where his family is. And he waves to him when he walks out on the pitch for the first time. And so it's something that you have as a five-year-old. But then even the professionals, you watch them, and they know exactly where their loved ones are at. It's just something that you carry with you. I did a story last year on Jordan Davis. And I went down to Athens. And, of course, he's right up the road in Philadelphia now. And, I mean, him and N'Kobe Dean are going to run Philly. Like, those two guys are going to be the guys for the Eagles in in terms of fan favorites. And Jordan comes out of the tunnel at Athens. He walks over to where his mom is, and they pray before he ever does anything. And I just thought that's so cool. Like, again, it matters so deeply to be rooted that way. And I'm – I'm grateful that I had that experience, and I thought it was really cool of Randy to share it. Uh, you were going to say something that meant a lot to you or that you remember about Austin. When we were done with the interview, there was like a uh, thing upstairs where there was a lot of merchandise. And I don't think you caught this, but I was looking at this hat, and I picked it up. I was like, oh, I like this. And you go, just get it. And I go, well, I'll pay for it later. And you like looked at me, and you're like, you can take the hat. And I didn't realize <laughs> that all this stuff was just there. Uh, and one of the coolest things that we got was the koozies that they had. It was a, They have a sleeping bag koozie for your beer bottle. Yes, that's a very good point. I forgot all about the, koo- the sleeping bag koozie. It is devised in such a way that it looks like a regular sleeping bag. It's the quilted material that you have on your sleeping bag, but it is the perfect size for your bottle of Shiner. And I, how how taken aback was I by it? How long did I talk about this thing? I was like a kid on Christmas. I think we talked about it all night. Everything that I got I, was quilted. Of course, uh, Travis, let them know the very first item of clothing that I went and put on. A puffy vest. Puffy vest, baby. Vest, guys. Nobody, I don't know if there's anybody that loves vests more than you. Love vests, man. Big vest guy. How many master's vests do I have? I'd say maybe four or five. <laughs> I have every color in the rainbow. Masters green. Blue, white. Masters green, navy blue, white, black. And that's just the zip-ups. I also have the pullover sleeve. The, the coolest Masters, the coolest piece of Masters gear I've ever gotten is the pullover vest that's sleeveless, that it doesn't have any zippers on it. Oh, I think it might have a little quarter zip. It might. I think it well, does. No, the coolest, the coolest thing now is the sweatshirt. But back to the vest, there was one year you had a vest with you, a master's vest with you. You purposely did not wear it out on the course, knowing it was slightly chilly so that you had an excuse to then go get a new one. Correct. Hey, we, we all have our strategies in life, bro. My strategy yeah. is play stupid. It's yeah, worked I, for me I went for 46 home, years. I went home with this hat. Uh the sleeping bag koozie, some swim trunks, which actually fit. I just grabbed them and hoped that they fit. Then some sort of, like, long sleeve. I feel like it's perfect for, like, the beach or pool. And then uh, a uh, one of those hard beer uh, koozies that you twist the cop top off and put a can in there. So it, well, was, it, was a good, uh, it was a good trip. Just an amazing event. And, and again, 
What, an, what a smart collaboration for Academy, Magellan, and Shinerbach. I don't, Jimmy, what was my man's name that was up on the stage who introduced Randy Rogers' band? That man had a spirit. I want that guy in my life. I've got some video of him. Maybe I'll throw it in the podcast. He goes like this. I can't say it too loud because I'm in a public place with a bunch of minors. But he was like, Magellan, who knows? He was tuned up. Old Jimmy. Jimmy was one of the big dogs at Shinerbach. And, of course, he was uh, a lot of Shinerbach. His, his bloodstream was rolling with cold ones. And, dude, he gets up there, and he was hilarious. He goes, he goes, Academy, Magellan, and Shiner. I mean, how the hell does it get better than that? He, he, made, well, he, I mean, he had us rolling. He also said, I don't know if it was a koozie or a col- uh, cooler that could be won. And he goes, I think it was a cooler. And he goes, it can hold ice for so long. He goes, but damn, I don't know why you need all that ice. Just drink the beer. Yeah. They shouldn't even get warm. He was a, he was a sweetheart. He was awesome. He was, he was on one. I'm jealous of whoever won the uh, Shiner Bach Randy Rogers signed guitar. That person won the night. It. Y'all, it was a, it was a, an acoustic guitar. I think it was even an electric acoustic. I think, you, I think it was a plug-in acoustic. And it had Shiner Randy Rogers Band graphics on the face of it. It was this like tan brown, not a normal guitar tan brown, but like a Shiner type of paint scheme, as it were. Gorgeous guitar. Uh, what an event. Amazing week. Uh, I'm grateful that I got to live it and with whom I got to live it. And on that note, that's it. We've kept y'all long enough. Thank you guys so much for being a part this is of last, this. Uh, this is the last pod in the, uh, the coffee shop, right? Last podcast in the coffee shop. I go home this weekend for good. Cameron, my kids start school a week from today. So uh, I'm up out of here. Thank you to Ocean City Coffee for hosting us all summer long. I had a guy approach me on the beach yesterday, one of Laney's best friends growing up is a amazing woman named uh, Megan. Well, her maiden name is McGonagall. Uh, she and her, her, her name now is Megan Cellini. Her husband, Mike's a great guy. They have beautiful kids. And Megan's brother said to me yesterday, he saw an article. Somebody wrote an article about the fact that I wrote my book in this bar. I wrote my book. I wrote half of Never Settle sitting right there. And that's why I chose this place to do the podcast this summer. And... He saw an article, somebody wrote an article about that, and he thought that was so cool. He's like, because around here, we just don't get a lot of recognition. You know, Jersey Shore, you know, people here, Jersey Shore, and, you know, they, he said it's nice to get that recognition. I have a funny Jersey Shore story, too. I may as well tell it real quick. We got like 10 minutes before the internet cuts off. So at Cornhole, uh, one of the people that was there was uh, the situation, was competing in the cornhole tournament at ESPN Neocha. All of the Jersey Shore people were there, all of them. And so uh, they had this amazing green room for us. The American Cornhole League folks had this awesome green room. It's food, it's beers, wine, all of it, like this gorgeous spread of food. And there were all these cornhole boards where we could um, warm up, play against each other. And once Cutler went out in the first round, you know Cutler had side bets going on. He was still playing when I left that night, I think, in the, in the VIP room, drinking all their beer and, and doing side bets with one of the UFC fighters. But uh, I go in there, 
and I'm starving. McGee and I have been running around Rock Hill, South Carolina all day long. I'm starving. So they put out this pulled pork, bar the Carolina pulled pork barbecue spread. Ooh. Phenomenal. McGee and me, it's our dream. It's our culinary dream. So the Jersey Shore people are shooting Jersey Shore during the cornhole deal. And they're all there. Snooky, everybody. Uh, Polly. So, by the way, I don't know a whole lot about this. I just learned their names there. Of course I knew Snooky. Everybody knows Snooky. But they are shooting, and we have to sign these waivers in case we're in a background or whatnot. I hope, I hope you, you make a cameo on one of their episodes. Well, I may because I – they had – remember how I told you guys at the beginning of the podcast that Patrick, Corey, Sam, Greg, and I go all over the world and there's five of us? The Jersey Shore crew was probably 60 people. There were like oh, yeah. four or five huge cameras, producers everywhere. It was wild. So there's all these people in this green room, and I'm hungry. And they're, they're filming right in front of the spread. And I look at McGee, I'm like, dude, I ain't waiting, I'm going. So I go full Larry Zonka, straight through the middle. I'm making a plate. McGee took a picture. I'll have to get him to text it to me. He took a picture of all the Jersey Shore people on these cameras and me getting barbecue. And so... Anyway, I'm, I hear these guys interviewing one of the Jersey Shore people about their week. And he's like, oh, yeah, we, we're, they got us a beautiful house at Lake Norman. Lake Norman's unbelievable. Lake Norman's beautiful. This house is amazing. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I walk over to two of the other dudes, the guy that has the Statue of Liberty hair and the guy who, uh, one of the other guys, they're standing there together beside the barbecue spread. And I walked over there, I said, hey, boys, what's up? I'm Marty. And they were like, what's up, man? Like, who's this clown? That's, I mean, I could just see it all over their face. Who is this jackass? Who's Jimmy Neutron? Right, who's Jimmy Well, I had a hat on, so Jimmy Neutron. Like, who's this redneck? So I go over there, I'm like, hey, man, I heard, uh, heard your boys say that y'all are uh, staying on Lake Norman this week. And I can see their wheels turning. Their wheels are saying this. Oh, this guy wants to come hang out. He, he wants to know where we're at. And, uh. And they were like, yeah, they got us a nice house up there. And that, that's it, crickets. I was like, oh, that's cool. I live on Lake Norman. And the guy turns to me, he goes, what? You live on Lake Norman? I was like, yeah, man, I got, I got a house on Lake Norman. They were like, man, it's really nice up there. I said, yeah, I got a boat. You guys going to heat? Because they were saying they were going to be out on the water this weekend. I said, yeah, my, I will too. He's like, you, you got a boat on Lake Norman? And I was like, yeah. All of a sudden, these dudes are in. I said, that's not why I'm talking to you guys. I, don't, I wanted you guys to hear the way I talk. And I wanted you to know, I actually have a house on the Jersey Shore, too. <laughs> and they were like, what? They were like, what town? I said, Ocean City. They were like, oh, my God, that is crazy. It was funny. It was a funny exchange. All right, anyway, enough of that. Love you guys. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials working so hard to keep our community safe. Fire and rescue, man. Y'all go into the fire literally to save lives every day. Thank you. And to the United States military, thank you for your sacrifice. We live in the greatest land, and we're free, and we're grateful. Y'all be good. T, great job. We got some huge guests coming up, guys. Big-time guests coming up here in the very near future. Can't wait to chat with all of them, and thank you guys for believing it. Thank you to all of our sponsors, Moultrie, uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors, Pit Boss. Thank you guys for believing in me. We got some special things coming there, too. Cheers. Have an amazing week. Next time I see y'all, I'll be back in. Charlotte, North Carolina. Have a great week.